Resolute Square. There was also maintained what was called an enemy's list, which was rather extensive and continually being updated. Democrats want Republicans dead. Where I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? The women with the least likelihood of getting pregnant are the ones most worried about having abortions. On January 6th of 2021, you had tens of thousands of people peacefully protesting. No, it's not a right-wing conspiracy theory. It's not QAnon. It's real. <laughs> I'm Rick Wilson, and this is The Enemies List. Our guest today on The Enemies List is Bandy Lee. Bandy is the author of The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump. And she's a forensic psychologist, or psychiatrist, excuse me, a medical doctor, and an expert on violence. She's taught at Yale and the Yale Law School. And she has a deeper psychological understanding of almost anyone I've ever talked to about Donald Trump and really understands the dangers of. Trump's mental state, not only as it applied to us during the first Trump administration, but the mental state that he's in now um, and as we approach the possibility of a second Trump administration. Bandy, thank you so much for coming on the Enemies List today. I really appreciate your time today. I appreciate your inviting me. Tell me right now you know, where you see, just as an outside observer, the behavior Trump is exhibiting right now in his trials. Talk to us a little bit about, about how someone in your field would would assess where you know the way he's behaving and the stresses he's under and how he's going to respond to those as we go forward and all this legal peril he's facing. Well, I think we've seen on a number of occasions how he has doubled down and how he has become increasingly belligerent, inciting violence even uh, at any uh, sign of containment, and that is what he will do because he has gone on for so long uh, not being contained. Uh, first, I'd like to make a, a disclaimer, though, that I, this is not a diagnosis of Donald Trump. And in fact, the greatest concern that I've had is of his influence on the public and to society, that he has been a public health threat. So talk to me about a little bit about that as a public health threat. Obviously, you know, we've got a person who displays a lot of these very broad and sort of terrifying behaviors when he was president, you know, including the, you know, the, the, the constant narcissism, the lying, the, the, the degree of his willingness to use all the sort of most dangerous tropes and approaches in American politics, this pressure he's under, and again, yes, completely with the caveat, it's not a diagnosis, this pressure he's under right now, he's never felt it like this before. This is the first time in his life that even when he was in trouble, there was never a possibility of prison. There was never a possibility of, of big legal sanctions against him that, would, that could cost him his freedom. And he really has sort of lived a life where he's been unaccustomed to any sort of responsibility or accountability. How does someone like that feel when, I mean, the walls really close in on him? It feels like the end of his life. In fact, for much of uh, his career, if you will, um, he has only been enabled and allowed to go further in terms of his ambitions until he reached the presidency. So actually, uh, the loss 
of his business and the loss of his uh, control over his properties, that's actually going to be far greater than a loss than, than even his life. Uh, so you can imagine the kind of reactivity in him, given that he uh, this is someone who has built his identity around this because he has no stable center for uh, a sense of self. This is a guy who looks at Trump Tower as something that is absolutely central to his personal image, identity. Uh, it's it's the touchstone that he always goes back to over and over and over again. There's a non-zero chance, maybe it won't happen, but, but it's, it's in the realm of possibility that he loses financial control of Trump Tower. That building, to my mind, is his rosebud. That is his thing that is the most significant part of his his personal brand. It was his first big project that gave him this sense of presence on the national stage, et cetera, way back in the 80s. If he loses that building, I mean, look, a golf course here or there doesn't really matter as much to him, I guess. But what do you think about if he loses the, the building itself, the thing that d- defined him for everybody for so long? Well, you can tell by the fact that he has his name all over the buildings and, and his uh, whole, <laughs> you can tell the degree to which he absolutely requires this, and the uh, again, his sense of self depends entirely on this, as well as the image that this allows him to present to the public. He cannot sustain his own sense of self without others' approval. And his other and others' approval has depended on his reputation as a business person, his uh, ability to be successful, and uh, even his reputation as the most powerful man in the country, if not the world, who had been untouchable until now. Yeah, I think that sense of invulnerability is is definitely something that's faded from him. Um, in a lot of ways, and with, with so many of these pressures coming on at the same time. So Donald Trump has never been a man notoriously faithful to the truth. I mean, he has always been somebody that you, you sort of had to price in the Trump BSing factor. Of these cases, is is the is it the business case that is that everything is a fraud, everything was a, like a lie stacked on a lie? Is that the one you think pressures him the most, or is it one of the others? I mean, it, to my mind, it, it would seem like that would be the thing that would make him the the most anxious. The other cases, you know, the documents case and things like that seem less in my mind consequential to him than the cases about the revelation that everything he's done has been built on this like skein of lies. You can tell by the fact that he's appeared in these court uh, hearings for the first time instead of brushing them off or believing that he can present himself as above all these things. He is eager to present his own narrative and his own framing of events. That's going to collide over and over again with witnesses. Of course. Let me zoom out the lens out a little bit. Talk to us a little bit about what you think Trump has done to America in the last, let's call it the last eight years, because it's really, it seems like it's so much longer than that. But since he came down that escalator, talk to us a little bit about how Trump has changed the psychology and the and the sort of worldview of Americans, both on the MAGA right and on the rest of the country. How has he changed? And he strikes me as the sort of protean figure, the sort of enormous 
figure in our in our history because he's wrought changes in society, not just in in government or politics. Talk to us a little bit about where you see that. That is the reason why I and my colleagues, who uh, consist of some of the most renowned individuals in the field of psychiatry and psychology, joined together to uh, first speak at the conference I organized at Yale School of Medicine in early 2017 to publish the book, The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump, which was uh, an instant, unexpected New York Times bestseller. We had this we believed, a societal responsibility to present the dangers that we saw. Because uh, I often state that fascism is not a political ideology, but mental pathology in politics. And the pathology that he was bringing, which is entirely beyond anything that this country has seen, at least, um, had a danger that reached societal proportions. It's not just a mentally impaired person, individual in office, that his exposure to the public and the the ways in which his symptoms would spread eventually uh, because of the exposures and because of the emotional bonds he would create would place the nation, and in many respects, the world in danger. That is why we had warned that the psychological dangers in such an important office would translate into social, cultural, geopolitical, and civic dangers, as as we have seen. And this has nothing to do with convincing the public. It has to do with spread of symptoms. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, folks, there are always things people need to get off their chests. We carry around a lot of stress in this world. Some of it's big, some of it's small. But all of it, if we keep it bottled up, can affect our health in a negative way. Therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest, to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down, to learn how to deal with those stresses. I know so many people who've benefited so much from therapy. They find a safe place where they can talk about the challenges in their life, where they can learn positive coping skills, they can learn how to set boundaries, and they can learn how to assess what's happening in their world in a way that makes them that better version of themselves. Therapy isn't just for people who've been through trauma or suffered a loss. It's for everyone. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's convenient flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Make your brain your friend with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Wilson today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Wilson. We had that brief dropout in 2021 where he was sort of, you know, less visible, less consequential. How's America reacting to the rise of Donald Trump the second time around? Or, you know, he's going to win the Republican primary, it looks like. There are certainly a lot of factors in the media that are driving him back in the center. How, is, how are Americans reacting and feeling about that? Well, it's what I wrote in uh, my second book about Donald Trump, Profile of a Nation, Trump's Mind, America's Soul, uh, speaks about some of the dynamics where having 
someone in office with the kinds of impairments that he has. It's not just a matter of removing him from office by an election. In fact, I stated in that book that his his presidency would essentially not end unless there were proper intervention, because uh, it's very much like a contagious disease. Uh, in, in psychiatry, we have different terms for it. Uh, I call it shared psychosis, but it's a phenomenon of spread of symptoms, as I said before. This, we don't think of mental symptoms as being infectious, but uh, in fact, they can be more contagious because you don't need physical exposure for the symptoms to spread, but rather emotional bonds and uh, because symptoms are psychosocial, they can spread through uh, through media exposure. And what happened after January 6th, uh, it wasn't the insurrection itself, or uh, others have postulated the way he handled COVID. It was actually that he was uh, removed from social media platforms, at least in the immediate aftermath, he did not have alternatives and he lost that exposure to the public that even his avid followers were, were turning around. And that is what we see in mental health settings. When there is a, a very prominent, dominant figure, be it in a family, in gangs, which I've seen a lot of because I, I treat violent offenders as a specialty, And I work in public sector settings where we see this a lot, where we find that the symptoms are spreading. It usually is uh, delusions, paranoia, violence proneness, any kind of detachment from reality uh, we see is a certain degree necessary when when, uh, a mentally impaired person is in power. And that can be in street gangs. We see it also in cults. Uh, And we see it at national levels when the same conditions are met. And uh, because of those conditions being met at a national level, uh, we've also seen the same phenomenon that I see normally in criminal co-conspirators or in street gangs uh, or in prisons or in families where uh, someone with severe symptoms goes untreated. Part of some of the political shorthand that I have always kind of wondered about is we always say that Trump runs a cult, that Trump is the, is the director of a cult and a, and a cult-like movement. Cults sometimes come to a terrible end. Sometimes they sort of peter out, but a lot of times there, there's, there are too many examples of cults ending violently or tragically in our, in our culture. Does the cult of Trump in your mind have a sort of logical ending game is there is there a way you see this ending with his movement you know if he's defeated next time or if he's or if he's elected next time how do you see the the cult like adoration of trump going in our society in the coming coming couple of years well psychologically there's very little difference between what's happening with the trump phenomenon i call it the trump contagion and a cult uh where individuals don't necessarily have to be physically isolated to form their own bubble and uh, form their own alternative beliefs in line with the leader's emotional needs. And because the needs are so great uh, and because 
he has been enabled rather than contained and treated. The primary method of treatment with these individuals is containment and removal of dangerous situations. That has not happened. Rather, he's been allowed to balloon in many of his false beliefs and ways of viewing the world that have spread and spread through emotional bonds with incredible uh, compulsion. We say the, there's a great emotional need to uh, sustain those beliefs. And so that's why we see a lot of revolt and violence, because people would rather, in many instances, die, and we have seen it with the COVID pandemic, than to admit that their leader or cherished uh, individual they're following has been wrong. And of course, many, uh, there's much evidence uh, and medically and legally that Donald Trump has not only been wrong, but terribly harmful to this country. And so we will see just as much violent resistance. And yes, all cults come to a terrible end. I think about the COVID behavior a lot. I think about the fact that almost singularly, Donald Trump convinced millions of Americans that COVID wasn't that big a deal. And so they didn't take a lot of precautions on the front end. And and as we've gone over in time, even though, you know, his administration started the process of getting vaccines, you know, he has become a touchstone for this part of the movement that calls themselves pure bloods and and they talk about, you know, how they're not going to take the vaccines that the government is giving them because of that culture of paranoia and strangeness that Trump – he flirted with that that anti-vaccination part of the conspiracy for a long time. He mishandled it so badly, but it has ended up with this enormous bulk of people on the, on the MAGA right who distrust medicine and who distrust public health and who distrust – you know, you've got some of these people like Ron DeSantis actually running their entire campaigns based on the way Trump altered the thinking of millions of Americans about about medicine and about public health. That's right. It speaks to the power of the mind. The mind can convince itself of any reality. And he has required his followers to adhere to uh, a reality that excludes a lot of what uh, what we had considered incontrovertible in the past, such as medical advice, public health measures, uh, life or death. Right. And, and I mean, some of the, the ideas of, you know, when Trump was saying things like, oh, you could use UV light or bleach. It's like the weird confidence of the hyper narcissist to, to say they're always right and they can never unwind it. Isn't that part of what, where, what America's ended up with is like this constant tension. You know, he's lying. He knows he's lying, but he'll never admit it. He'll never back down from a lie. He'll never stop the lies. I mean, isn't that, isn't that, it, 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 that constant cognitive dissonance about that? Isn't that one of the things that's put America in this sort of like weirdly stressed out all the time position? Yes, absolutely. It takes enormous energy to deny the truth. And what has happened is not so much that people are seeing another reality, that they have convinced themselves that reality does not matter as much, that what their leader says when he tells you to not believe your own ears or believe your own eyes, that is the approach that you adopt. 
And of course, it takes terrible stress and pressure to be able to do that. So all these people that, that are in the cult side of this thing, they have a sort of hermetic worldview where they think, okay, the, the dear leader has spoken. I know what Trump says is the truth. I will not doubt it. I will not, I will act upon it, etc. The rest of America is looking ahead at this at this next 13 months of the election cycle with, I think, a sen- sense of profound dread. I mean, a really profound sense of anxiety and worry and fear. Um, how should Americans gird themselves psychologically for the next 12 months, which are going to be, I, I mean, the, the, the news cadence and the political cadence is going to be at something we've never seen before. How should people get ready for this mentally? Yes, of course, it's terribly frightening. Uh, most people haven't experienced this level of mental pathology, let alone uncontained pathology. I, I, I think the best way is for us to take care of our own mental health. The way we do it is to give ourselves time away from the news, uh, away from Donald Trump, certainly, and to give ourselves an hour a day, an afternoon a week, or a couple weeks now and there, now and then, to simply immerse ourselves in things that we enjoy and love so that we can regain our bearing in what is real and what is precious in life. And I think this will be essential for the healthy part of society to uh, maintain its health and ability to counter these onslaughts because uh, otherwise it can become too stressful or can topple us from our own uh, sense of stability and equanimity. And so that's what I would suggest. And, And surprisingly, as we take care of ourselves, we also gain the instruments and ideas to be able to uh, take care of the actual problems. And one of those problems is uh, being able to deal with a mental health issue as a mental health issue and to hear from mental health experts as you have opted to do, for which I'm grateful, and, and not to shun and shy away from dealing with the issue because the problem doesn't go away that way. And in fact, the solutions, the more information we have and the greater knowledge we have, the more empowered we feel to deal with the circumstances. And currently we have a major national public health, public mental health threat that is stressing out, rightfully so, Uh, the majority of the population and the inability to hear from mental health experts such as myself has added to the problem. Of course, I also always point out the fact that the American Psychiatric Association, rather than taking on a leadership in our societal responsibility to educate the public on mental health matters, especially when it concerns their safety and survival, that it rather shut us down from the media. Yeah, it's a, it's a tragedy. It is. It absolutely is. Because I was there when more than 50 Congress members gathered to hear from us and were quite confident that 
our educating the public would make a difference in being able to uh, institute the right interventions. And at that time, it was the 25th Amendment, but then also the impeachments might have made a difference if mental health professionals were involved and consulted upon, as even the drafter of the 25th Amendment had said, that uh, the initiators were not the uh, vice president and cabinet members, as people said, but those who can bring attention to the medical data, those who have the data. It really is something we're going to have to confront once again in the next 13 months. And so, Bandy Lee, I want to thank you so very much for coming on the uh, enemies list today. Um, I remember reading your book that when it first came out, uh, a case, dangerous case Donald Trump. I remember l- reading it and staring at it and thinking, "Oh God, he's not just a corrupt jerk. This guy is truly dangerous to this country." And and I want to thank you for the work you've done on bringing attention to him over the the years now. And again, I really want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. How can people find you on social media? People can find my Twitter account and Substack account through my website, which is bandylee.com, B-A-N-D-Y-L-E-E.com. Excellent. Well, thank you again. And uh, and once again, thanks for coming on. Thank you. Hey, on the list today is you, Donald Trump. You know, I know it's not surprising that anyone would see the guy would put Donald Trump on the enemies list, but here it is. Donald, you should quit. You should drop out. You should stop. The damage you're doing to the country right now is increasingly evident and painful for people who give a shit about this nation. You clearly do not. I have loathed you with the fire of a million suns for a very long time because of who you are and what you've done to this nation. But I've noticed in the last few days, reading your Truth Social, your dollar store social network posts, you really are trying to incite violence. You really are trying to rev this up to the point where you'll be happy, but people will be dead. You can't keep the attacks going on court workers and and people you don't like. If you think you can, the reaction to you is going to be even worse. You're already going down as the worst president in history. You're already about to lose everything. You could walk away. You could do it. You could walk the fuck away. And you should. Thanks again for listening to The Enemies List. If you have any comments, questions, or if there's someone you'd like to hear on the podcast, hit me up on Twitter at TheRickWilson. Thanks again for the wonderful support you've shown the pod. We're growing fast. It really helps if you will share this with your friends, your family, and anyone else who, like us, is trying to save democracy. While you're at it, if you could rate and review the podcast, I would be very much appreciative. I know this is the sort of thing you've heard a billion times. Please rate, review, like, blah, blah, blah. But you need to do it. It really does help us a lot. We are slaves to the algorithm, my friends. And if you do this, it will help get the pod out further. Anyway, thanks again for listening. I'll see you next time. And remember, whatever you do, stay off the list.